that you would bless that as well, and that you would uh, speak to us because yours is the voice we need to hear above all others. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, a New Testament reading today comes from uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not, that, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. And then our gospel lesson and the sermon text today comes from John's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. And let me just remind you, this is God's word to us and it's given to us because he loves us. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the gospel of our Lord. So the context of uh, these gospel readings that we've had the last few weeks, minus last week when we looked in the book of Acts for Pentecost Sunday, is Jesus having this conversation, this ongoing conversation with his disciples that he is getting ready to leave, that very soon... Uh, He is going away from them. And the disciples, for the most part, are freaking out. Every time he starts talking about this, especially when uh, he's intimating that part of the going away that he's about to do is that he's actually going to die, like, they don't like that. They get panicky. They really uh, start to lose it. Jesus even says, if you go back a little bit earlier in the chapter, in uh, verse 6, Jesus says to the disciples, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Sorrow has filled your heart. And as we saw two weeks ago, Jesus is trying to convince them that his going away is ultimately to their benefit, that it's actually better for you if I do go away. But the disciples are not really buying this argument. (laughs) They're having a hard time with it. And you can appreciate, and I, you and I can appreciate what the disciples are going through because this is difficult. It's difficult for us too. Jesus is not physically, tangibly right here in front of us, with us. He's gone away from us. He is absent in some ways. And his absence brings us sorrow. He has not yet returned and even if you firmly believe his promise that he will neither leave us nor forsake us even if you firmly believe his promise that he is with us even now by the holy spirit and that he is one day going to come again to bring us home this dynamic is still 
challenging. It's still hard. We know and experience this in all sorts of ways. I mean, even if just a loved one, someone that you hold dear, someone close to you leaves to go on a trip for business or or pleasure or whatever, maybe for a few days, maybe for a few months. It's difficult. Sometimes even if they just run out to the grocery store to run an errand, like you're in distress, you long for them to come back and be with you. Their time away is sorrowful. You could say, I have faith, I believe, but man, wouldn't life be so much easier to cope with if Jesus could just be here, right here, in his own flesh and blood? You know, there is a false piety that would say true Christian maturity doesn't experience sorrow. That if you're really mature in your faith and your walk with Jesus, then you shouldn't experience any sorrow. Or if you do experience sorrow, then you shouldn't show it. You should leave it at home. If you come here especially, leave that thing at the door. Don't bring that sorrow in here. And that false sense of piety is such a lie. It is obviously a lie. We can have sorrow that Jesus is not physically here with us, just like sorrow filled the hearts of the disciples when he talked about the fact that he was going to leave. And we know that we can have sorrow and that it's not wrong to feel this sorrow because we see Jesus comfort the disciples in that very sorrow. So how does he do that? How does he comfort the disciples and therefore how does he comfort us in our sorrow that in some ways we experience lots of times the separation and distance and absence of God in our lives. Well, first and foremost, he just simply acknowledges their sorrow. As I read for you earlier, he points out that the disciples are feeling sorrowful because he is talking to them about these things. And like most human reactions, I'm sure the disciples didn't really want him to do that. They didn't want him to point that out, that they were feeling sorrow. They wanted They didn't want others to know about it. They wanted to suppress it. They wanted to hide it. They wanted to cover it up. And they certainly didn't want Jesus to know and Jesus to be talking about it. But Jesus doesn't ridicule them for their sorrow. He simply acknowledges it. I know that you're sorrowful. I know that these things that I'm saying to you are making you sad. And that's okay. We know it's okay to be sorrowful because Jesus himself openly wept for his friends. Jesus expresses his sorrow and sadness multiple times. Sometimes he expresses sorrow because he knows that his decisions are causing his friends sorrow. And he's sad that what he has to do and what he's going to do is making them sad, that his choices are making them sorrowful. So it's okay, obviously, to feel this sorrow. God sees it. God sees your sorrow. He knows whatever it is that brings you sorrow. And he comforts us in our sorrow that he has gone away, is going away by acknowledging that it is indeed a cause of grief. And you do not have to be ashamed that that is hard for us sometimes in this life. But Jesus just doesn't acknowledge it. Jesus comforts the disciples and therefore he's comforting us with something better then the certitude we think will satisfy us. He comforts them with something better than the certitude that they think they need 
in order to be okay. Certainty. I think that we as a people, sometimes, maybe often, vastly overrate having to have all the answers in order to be content, in order to have peace. This demand to have all the answers and to be right in order to be happy is actually doing quite the opposite. It's not making us happy. This demand to have all the answers. In fact, a lot of times I think this demand for certainty is at the center of so much of our divisiveness and polarization, polarization as a culture. Now, I'm not saying there aren't things that we can be certain of or that we should be certain of. Certainly they are, but I believe sometimes we feel like we're entitled to a level of certitude that quite frankly just isn't possible. This side of Jesus returning and making all things new. We want to know how it's all going to go down, how it's all going to shake out at every point of the way in this journey, in this pilgrimage that Jesus has called us to follow Him on. And friends, that level of certitude is just not what Jesus promised. You see, the comfort that Jesus gives that's better than this certainty, this this level of certitude that we think we have to have, this this comfort that Jesus gives us is a Christ-shaped comfort. Let me try to explain what I mean by that. Well, for three years, Jesus has been with His disciples. We are nearing the end of His time together with them. And He says that there are still many, many things that he could say to them, many more things that he could pass on to them. And he says in our passage today that they cannot bear them right now. You cannot bear them right now. Now, my initial read whenever I read this passage in the Gospels is that uh, when Jesus says this to his disciples, I got more things I could say to you, but you can't bear them right now, is the, my mind goes to that iconic scene in A Few Good Men. And I know you're probably in, you know, rolling your eyes right now. Oh my goodness. Does Brian go to movies and TV for every single thing in the Bible? And the answer is yes, I do, because I watch entirely too much TV and movies. In fact, when Corey walked in today with his haircut and mustache, I thought he looks like Goose from Top Gun. Or maybe Brad Pitt from Inglorious Blankety Blank. Uh, but at any rate, yeah, you like that. You definitely like the Brad Pitt reference for sure, right? Yeah, that's just how my mind works. Sorry, everyone. But anyway, when I, I read this passage, I think of that scene in A Few Good Men. When Tom Cruise's character, you know, he's the JAG lawyer. He's the prosecutor, Dan, uh, Lieutenant Daniel Danny Caffey. And he's got Colonel Nathan Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson, on the stand. And it's this climactic, you know, tense moment. And, and uh, Tom Cruise's character says, I want the truth. And Colonel Jessup says, you can't handle the truth. That's what I think about at first when I read this. It's like, you know, we want to know, Jesus, you can't handle the truth. Thankfully, I don't think Jesus' approach is Colonel Nathan Jessup. Lord, I hope not. That's not his approach. So after initially thinking that, I was like, I don't think that's really what Jesus is about. Instead, I was reminded of uh, a different story that I think is 
more in line with what's going on here. And it's the testimony of Corey Tenboom. Do you know Corey Tenboom? Do you know her story? Corey and her family uh, hid Jews during the Holocaust uh, in the Netherlands uh, with her uh, father and sister. And they were betrayed, and her family was captured, and they were sent to concentration camps. Corey's father and sister would die in the concentration camps, and Corey herself would only very narrowly avoid the gas chamber. And in her most famous book, The Hiding Place, she recounted a story of when she was a younger girl. She unfortunately witnessed the death of a baby, and uh, she was understandably shaken by the experience, and she wept to her father. His name was Casper. I need you. You can't die. You can't. And in an effort to comfort and counsel uh, his daughter, Casper uh, said to Corey, he sat down next to her and gently said, Corey, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you the ticket? And she sniffed a little and she replied, why, just before we get on the train. And Casper replied, exactly. And our wise Father in heaven knows when we are going to need things too. Don't run ahead of him, Corey. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. Jesus is saying, I'm not telling you everything right now. I'm not giving you the ticket for the train right now because you might lose it between now and then. If I told you how all these things are going to happen, how all these things will go down, you'll just be overwhelmed with grief, with sorrow, with confusion. It's better that I don't tell you because you cannot bear them yet. Listen to what he says in verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. The truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. So going back, when I say that Jesus comforts us with a Christ-shaped comfort, what I mean is, He comforts us with Himself. When He says the Spirit will come and guide us into all the truth, that's not the same thing as having certainty, having as a a certainty of having all the answers to all life's problems, to all life's quandaries and dilemmas and questions. That's not the same as having all of life's tensions answered and removed from us. I mean, Jesus hangs on a cross holding all these tensions in life, caught between church and state, between heaven and hell, between two thieves. He takes all those tensions and holds them in Himself, in His cross. So it is not coming to just take away all the tension in life. What I mean is, is that the truth, the truth that Jesus comforts us with is himself. The one who said just prior to this that I am the way, 
the truth and the life. The Spirit will give you the truth by giving you the presence of Jesus. The Spirit will comfort you by showing you Jesus. It's more about seeing Him clearly than having all the answers. The only thing that will bring us comfort is a deeper and deeper intimacy and communion with Christ our Lord. It is not merely intellectual. It is the presence of Jesus with us. The comfort the Spirit gives is pressing into us more and more this living truth that Christ is our life. Yeah, but Brian, what's so wrong with having all the answers? Nothing necessarily. It's just vanity. (laughs) You can try all you want, but it's just vanity. You don't believe me, go and read Ecclesiastes in your Bible. The whole point of that book is that you will never have all the answers. You never will. And that's okay, because you don't need them. You don't need all the answers. Because God's presence with you is enough. His presence with you is enough. Being quiet, being able to be still in that presence, in that moment, not demanding, trusting this, as the Heidelberg Catechism puts it. The Spirit has been given to me personally so that by true faith He makes me share in Christ and all His blessings, comforts me, and remains with me forever. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.